This is the Legal Innovators Interview Series, featuring in-house counsel at the forefront of change in their profession, industry, and company. Brought to you by Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney, and Law.com. Welcome back to the Legal Innovators Interview Series. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Gina Polo. I'm a shareholder at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney in our Miami, Florida office. And today, we are thrilled to welcome a guest who I've been fortunate enough to know for many years, uh, Jordan Isra. Jordan is general counsel at Oxygen Development, which is a leader in the development and production of high-quality color cosmetics, skin care, hair care, bath and body care, and OTC products. Oxygen is an outsourcing partner to major global cosmetics brands and trend-setting players all across distribution channels from high-end to mass market. We'll talk to him today about this, but also Jordan's role as general counsel extends well beyond legal matters. For a company so focused on innovation and bringing new products and processes to market, Oxygen requires that everyone in the company have a business-focused mindset, and Jordan is absolutely no exception. Before joining Oxygen Development, Jordan spent time in private practice with both Arnstein & Lear and Berger Singerman. After law school, he initially started his career in government as an assistant attorney general for the state of New York. Jordan truly has experienced on all sides of the legal landscape, including a new role he currently holds in government, and I'm excited to talk to him about all of that in just a little bit. So Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gina. I appreciate you having me. All right. So Jordan, you've been with Oxygen Development for almost four years now. So tell me what initially attracted you to work for the company and what's kept you there over the course of the years? Well, as most of these stories start is I was practicing in private litigation and Oxygen was one of my clients. And as I got to know the the team members, the executives, and also even just getting to understand their business, uh, it really became extremely, one, impressive to me, but two, also really an interesting dynamic, especially for someone who has no real understanding of cosmetics in the first place, what I can tell you is a lot more goes into it than most people will ever realize. Uh, and, and, you know, my background had been uh, a JD MBA in my education, and I did that because I always wanted to be a business executive with a legal acumen as opposed to a straight traditional lawyer with a business acumen. So when I was given the opportunity, I jumped on it and I never looked back. And for those of, of our listeners who aren't familiar with the cosmetics industry, it has plenty of unique challenges that come with it. Uh, especially on the regulatory side. So as an outsourcing partner and an international one at that, Oxygen probably has even more legal needs than most. Can you tell us what some of the biggest regulatory challenges are that you face as general counsel? Yes, that's that's a, a broad question, and I'll, I'll try to break it down for a number of reasons. One, especially as a contract manufacturer, we're constantly making new products. You know, we're not like a brand who has their defined portfolio and you make your line of products and you know all the ins and outs. Every week we are accepting new projects and what that new projects entail is new regulatory obligations, not only just here in the United States, but for brands who are doing business internationally. You know, they want to know that whatever you're making for them is going to be compliant in each of the markets in which they're, they're selling. So that in of itself is a, a huge lift. And you know, going beyond that, that's just the product side. There also is the supply chain element of it. We're now trying to procure raw materials from all around the world. There's a lot of regulations, including the Lacey Act and, and things of that nature, that really make sure that not only just are you doing it from a ethical standpoint, but also you're following the law in, in ways that maybe, unfortunately, in some other markets or other regions, they don't necessarily see the law the same way we do. So when we import something, we have to do our own due diligence, make sure that we're compliant. Uh, and even beyond that, there's a regulatory aspect of just kind of the labor law. 
again, we have operations all around the world. And so you know, regulatory is not just in our you know, regular day-to-day operation, but also in how we treat our employees, how we manage the workforce. And especially, as you can imagine, with COVID, it, it also brings up a whole new set of issues. Of course, of course, which brings us to our next point. Uh, COVID obviously has thrown a huge monkey wrench into a lot of companies' business plans. So how has COVID affected your business at Oxygen and how have you adapted? Well, as a manufacturing facility, one of the, the I would say, the hard parts of this business is you can't work remotely. You know, it's a tactical nature business. People need to be on the lines. They need to be in the manufacturing compounding rooms. So what that means is, we are required to make sure that we're taking care of these employees, doing all the things necessary and following all the guidelines. And I would like to say that we were very early adopters of a lot of the best practices. And that was thanks to our our counterparts in South Korea, who were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of on a global pandemic scale. So we had an ability to learn from them and start implementing before even the CDC in the US was starting to kind of put out these guidelines. Um, But going beyond that, we were fortunate enough to have as our formulators here, we were starting to use a pan sanitizer on a very rapid basis. As you can imagine, people had their concern about hygiene and sanitation. So we got to the point we started formulating our own hand sanitizer for internal consumption. And as people started to use it, we started actually getting response that, wow, this stuff is really good. You know, people were starting to see all these different types of hand sanitizer. And I think we all now know not all of them are created equal. Uh, So that formula actually became something that because of the, the market changes and the dynamic, we saw it as an opportunity to also start adding that as part of our product mix. And so what we did is something unique to Oxygen is that as a contract manufacturer, like I said, we don't typically have our own brand. So this was one of the first times that Oxygen created its own branded product of hand sanitizer to sell in the marketplace, which greatly helped subsidize the, the lower demand for cosmetics or any products over the course of the last year. So Jordan, is this something, you know, this this adaptability to changes, uh, in this case in the market because of COVID, is this something that's very um, normal within Oxygen in terms of being flexible and having that kind of mindset within the company? It is almost the, I would say, the exact principle that Oxygen bases itself on. In fact, our vision statement is formulating a competitive advantage. And when you really think about that, it means it's a very fluid exercise that our business is constantly reinventing itself and constantly finding new ways to either bring innovation to market or find new ways to add value to our customers and and their supply chain. So when I first met Oxygen, I met our CEO, I met our CFO, and I saw that they were not traditional in in the sense of, you know, traditional businesses. They're entrepreneurs, and these are entrepreneurs who are now 20 years into the business, whereas most entrepreneurs, they start their company and all of a sudden it becomes you know, more of a run of the mill. They mature and they become a traditional, doing things the same way over and over again. Auction has found a way to continuously reinvent itself. And I think that's why it is not only just a very interesting place to work, but also why customers continuously come back to us to, to keep helping add value to their business. So as general counsel, Jordan, what, what's something that you're most proud of during the time that you've worked at Oxygen? I think it has to be my, my budget reduction. One of the reasons people bring in a general counsel is one, to mitigate risk and to help to guide them and navigate them through legal issues, but it's also to to help minimize and uh, reduce legal spending. One of the biggest challenges of of a company is working with outside counsel when I always use the example, if I go to a car mechanic to get my car fixed and I know nothing about cars, well, unfortunately, I'm at the whim of whoever the mechanic is. What he tells me I need, 
I accept it. I'm going to pay for it because I don't have the wherewithal to tell them that it's not the, the right way or that it shouldn't be doing that. When you bring a general counsel into a company and they get to interface with outside counsel, they now have the ability to be able to question things and start using their own business judgment as to whether or not that's the right value for what we're getting or even whether we need it at all. So reducing our legal spend by over 50% was a huge accomplishment for me and for the company. Um, and so I think that's something that also, you know, there's a lot of lawyers who are very good at the law, but they don't necessarily understand the business of law. Uh, so to me, that was something that was very important in making sure that I not only help the company, but add value. So we talked about Oxygen Development being a true innovator in the cosmetics industry. Tell us about some of the innovations in process and cost savings that you just mentioned that you've been part of uh, and why that innovation is such an important driver for the company itself. I, I can't get into too many of the innovations in process. We uh, obviously have a, a very competitive industry and we also have a high degree of NDAs with a lot of our, our customers. But what I can tell you is this, from my perspective of managing a legal department, a lot of what I've done is focus more on, I would say, alternative billing uh, requirements. And the reason for that is because I think what's been lost in the hourly billing is that people forget what the actual goal is of, of, the, of the matter. And for me, being able to have that dialogue up front with their outside counsel and actually being able to understand what we're looking to accomplish and how they can effectuate that, but do it in a way that's beneficial for both parties, as opposed to kind of where I've seen it many times where people get to a point at the end of something and it's almost a pyrrhic victory. They say, yeah, well, you solved my problem, but I actually spent more on you than what I was looking to even resolve. So that's a huge aspect. Um, but also in terms of innovation, I can say that we've applied for a number of patents. And you know, these patents are both in the technical sense, meaning from process orientation in the manufacturing space, and also even from formulation of you know, innovative formulas that will be hitting the market eventually. And those, those are gonna make a splash because as you can imagine, a lot of the stuff you see on the shelves when you go to the Sephora's or the Ulta's of the world, a lot of it is kind of, the same, you know, the branding is what really makes the difference, the packaging, the artwork, who's the one marketing it. But when you can actually change what's inside of the tube and something that's unique and hasn't been seen before, that's where you can really make a difference. Oxygen has grown very rapidly over the past few years and now has facilities besides the U.S. in Germany, Dominican Republic, Poland, Italy and South Korea along with obviously South Florida. We know that mergers and acquisitions can be complicated, but those complications only intensify when you're working overseas and through language barriers. Tell us about the M&A process for you. What was involved? What, what extra due diligence was required? And how is it different from more traditional M&A done here domestically? That's a great question. Uh, traditional M&A in the United States is when you're either acquiring or merging with another business. You know, the due diligence process is somewhat comparing apples to apples. You know, sure, businesses are different, they're unique, but for the most part, a lot of them share a lot of the same processes and documents, and that, that usually makes it a lot easier. Now, when you go overseas, you're dealing with companies who have been regulated by different set of laws, different set of requirements, and even cultural norms change. So from a language barrier to just trying to understand how someone else's business is run and recognize that it's not always going to be comparable here, you have to really be able to work together. It's, it's a very you know, dynamic process that requires a true relationship. And, and I think that's also important because as part of you know, a lot of due diligence done in M&A in the US, it can almost be sometimes, I would say, uh, competitive as you know us versus them. You're trying to get the best of the deal. And, 
That's understandable, but when you're working across the borders, you really have to be in partnership and make sure that you both are aligned in ways that usually only don't happen until integration after the fact. So it almost starts an integration before you even close the deal. So when you've merged with with some of these companies outside the United States, do you find that Oxygen has benefited also from the knowledge that they have used before they became part of the Oxygen family? Without question. There are many best practices that people allude to in all different types of businesses, but sometimes best practices are only within the scope of what you know, right? And especially, like I said, if you work with other industries or other companies in the industry in the U.S., yeah, you may be able to see that you have adopted a best practice that's known within the industry here in the U.S. But when you go overseas and you start to see that other people either utilize different technology or have a different way of viewing things, there are many times where we actually instead of rolling out what we believe to be the best practice, we listen to our affiliates and we understand, well, you actually are doing it better than we are. And we're going to adopt your way as opposed to imposing ours on you. Jordan, your career has included time spent on the public side, the private side, and now in-house. How has that experience shaped who you are as an attorney, having all three of those experiences? One of my favorite quotes that I always learned in law school was, the life of the law is experience. And I think if you really take a look at the different realms in which people practice law, you know, from it's the public sphere, whether it's in private practice or even in the, in the business world, there's something to be gleaned from all those. And in the government space, what I learned was there's a lot of lawyers who are truly just passionate about the law and passionate about helping things. It's not necessarily about the money. It's not necessarily about the, the career objectives. It's about making sure they improve the world around them and using the, the law as a tool. And then when you go into private practice, you learn much more about, I would say, the business of law. You, yes, are honing your skills, you're gaining experience, but you're also required to kind of navigate that that business world that you don't really learn about in law school. You have to understand how to market yourself. You have to understand how to add value to your clients that they don't leave and go to someone else. They, they want to keep you around. Um, but also you get kind of exposed to just the inner workings of how to manage relationships amongst a chain, you know, a, a hierarchy. You have partners, you have associates, you have paralegals. It's, it's learning how to work within a team and making sure that you are a critical part of it. Um, but then when you get into the business side, it's no longer about the business of law. To me, it's more about the law of business. You know, you now have to flip your hat over and say that it's no longer about telling someone no or telling them why they can't do it. It's now you have to be the one to tell them how to do something. You want to get it done? Fine. Here are the risks you need to be aware of, and here's how we're going to avoid them. So all three of those, I think, have given me a very well-rounded view of what the law is and how it can be used. Um, and what I, what I would compare it to is, you know, in private practice, uh, it was kind of like litigation with heavyweight boxing, right? You have a referee, you get to punch, you get a counterpunch, someone sends a discovery memo, there's an uppercut. But when you're in-house, you don't really get that. It's much more MMA. You know, you're scrambling, you're grappling. Someone comes to you from marketing telling you that hey, someone has an issue with their advertising or someone in HR comes to you and tells you hey, we have an employee dispute and there may be potential claim for discrimination. You don't really get the, the benefit of kind of taking a breath. You are constantly being challenged from every different angle. And I love that. I think that's one of my most uh, enjoyable parts of the job. So do you think that your degree at the University of Miami, the joint degree in JD and the MBA, do you think that that gave you the, the training to do both the MMA and the boxing? 100%. Uh, I, I would encourage many people who look to go either into law or business to, if they can do it, to do both. And, and the reason for that is because I don't even think you necessarily have to be, want to be a lawyer to benefit from law school. I used to call it grown-up school. Right? There's many times people don't teach you about 
you know, your civil rights, they don't teach you about torts of what it means to be protective of yourself and your responsibilities as a homeowner, as, you know, anything like that, or even taxes, understanding what your, you know, labor laws are. These are things that everyone realistically should know. And it's unfortunate that, you know, you have to go to law school to learn it, but that's the way it is. And in terms of an MBA, it's a very different type of education, right? It's very team oriented. It's very group oriented. Whereas law school, it's sometimes you're in your silo. You're very competitive against your peers. Or in business, you can't succeed without your peers. Uh, so for me, there's a very important lessons to be learned from both. And when you can combine the two, I think it gives you endless opportunity. So we've talked about regulation. So speaking of, of government work, uh, I know that in addition to your time with Oxygen Development, you're also a public servant. So tell us a little bit about that. This is true. Last year, I put my hat in the ring for running for city commissioner of the city of Parkland. Uh, this is a place that, as someone who has moved around a lot in my childhood, Parkland actually became what I call my true home. It's a place where I knew when we first moved there with my wife and we had our first kid and we bought a house that I have no plans or intentions of leaving anytime soon. I want to continue to grow in this community and, and, and build it and make sure that it's the best for my family and you know, my children and, and, of course, my, my community members, my neighbors. Um, so I threw my hat in the ring. Despite COVID and the pandemic, I saw an opportunity. It's something I've always had an interest in. And as much as I you know, didn't really enjoy the campaign aspect of it, I've now been fortunate enough to, to win the opportunity. And it's something that I really enjoy. And I, I love the opportunity to be able to help others, to help you know, grow a community, to help improve it. And what I'm seeing now is decisions that we're taking will have a lasting effect of, on the footprint and kind of the look and feel of the city for, for many years to come. And to me, that's a, it's a really cool thing to do. How do you manage your time between both roles? I would imagine they're both intensive. Uh, you have to dedicate a lot of time to be a city commissioner and general counsel for oxygen. So how do you divide your time between the two? Being a law student or being a lawyer and being in business school, one of the things you're almost trained to do is your time management. Because if you can't do that, then you're gonna fail. You know, it's, it's almost just a necessity. But even going further is being in private practice as a litigator, you end up having multiple clients at the same time with cases that are ebbing and flowing. And sometimes this case may be very active and at others, the others may be you know, slower. So the way I look at it is this, if I was able to manage seven or eight client matters at a time while being in private practice, right now, technically I have two clients. It's Oxygen Development and the City of Parkland. So for me, being able to balance those two is not always easy, but it's at least manageable. So, Jordan, we're getting close to the end of our show time, and we want to wrap things up with what we call our in-closing segment. So I'm going to ask you a series of rapid-fire questions that are a little on the lighter side and ask that you respond quickly. You ready? I'm ready. All right. First question. In the picture you had taken after being elected city commissioner, it wasn't just you in the picture, but your family. Tell us about them. Simply put, they are my why. You know, they are what gets me out of bed in the morning or gets me to be as motivated and ambitious as I am. My son, Parker, is four years old. My daughter, Maya, she's just turned one. And my amazing wife, Jessica. A lot of people say this about their family, but mine truly is the best. Excellent. And what are your political aspirations beyond city commissioner, if any? I don't know if I know the answer to that yet. I think as long as I can continue to make an impact in, in roles of which the opportunity presents itself, I will always strive to do that. And so currently right now, I'm focused on our city of Parkland. And if, you know, later on down the road, there's ever something that changes, I'd be more than happy to explore it. Who has been your role model in your legal career? I would have to say that would be my father-in-law, Michael Moskowitz. He is a lawyer in Fort Lauderdale. And when I tell you, you don't get to pick your in-laws, but I could not have asked for a better one. He is someone who 
you know, I think most people look to as a consigliere who's, you know, as ethical as they come. His integrity is always in check, never been questioned. And this is despite the fact that he is a bulldog of a litigator. No one will ever tell you differently. People who hire him know that they go to him to, you know, effectuate whatever it is they desire to. And people who oppose him cower in fear. And I, I'm sure he'll love to hear that, but it's the truth. And I think he is a lawyer's lawyer. And, you know, I would say he's a little bit more in the old school sense where, you know, he's able to kind of go hard in a courtroom and then be outside and shake the other side's hand. And I think we're losing a lot of that today. So it's he, he reminds me of that. And it's important. Jordan, I consider myself to be a bit of a connoisseur of cosmetics. So tell me how your view of the industry has changed since you joined Oxygen Development. Dramatically. I am myself a toothpaste and deodorant guy. You're not going to see, you know, if you were to walk into my bathroom, you'll see my sink looks like three items with a toothbrush. And you look at my wife's and it looks like a Sephora store, right? So for me, I never really understood it. But to actually watch how much goes into it, to watch, you know, we have R&D facilities all over the world. And to see the amount of time and effort that goes into exploring new raw materials, new processes, new ways of combining things, and to ultimately come up with different effects, you know, there's there's endless opportunity, and it's really only limited by one's imagination. So for me, it's it's an extremely impressive type of business and industry because there's always going to be innovation. It just it's it's necessary. Otherwise, you know, it becomes stagnant. And I think people are always looking to see what's next. So that encompasses marketing and encompasses your supply chain, encompasses even just, like I said, your R&D team. So for me, I have a much more profound respect, especially considering that my first week of starting at Oxygen, they put me on the floor and they had me make my own batch of cosmetics, which at the time I questioned, I sat there and saying, I'm the lawyer, right? You guys hired me to be your general counsel. And that said, I think that was probably one of the most important experiences I had at Oxygen because it really puts you in the front lines to see what goes into putting these things on the shelf. And it's a lot more than most people ever understand. Absolutely. I like that you think that cosmetics is a, is a necessity. I agree. I agree. All right. So I think we all miss things that we used to do before COVID. So once this is all over, what's the first thing that you'll do? Taking a very long, exotic trip somewhere. There's nothing I enjoy more, especially with my wife, is traveling. And in fact, even before the pandemic, we were planning a trip that was going to either be to India or Peru. And we were so excited. We were looking into it, trying to, you know, do our itineraries, et cetera. And of course, all things came to a halt. And now we're just sitting here eager, itching, waiting to scratch that travel itch. Awesome. All right, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. We enjoyed speaking with you and learning not just about your career, but the work you're doing beyond oxygen development. So that wraps things up for this edition of Legal Innovators Interview Series. Please be sure to join us the next time. Until then, I'm Gina Polo, shareholder at Buchanan, Ingersoll & Rooney, and thank you all for listening.